Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And it's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. I am travelling around the world again today and I'm really, really excited to be in the Scottish borders now. How beautiful does and exotic does that sound? So I'm here with a beautiful lady by the name of Jules Horn. And Jules, welcome to Writer on the Road. Hello, Belinda. Thanks for having me on the show. Not a problem at all. Jules put up a wonderful uh, little picture on our Facebook uh, profile there earlier tonight and it's of this little hedgerow uh, road that I remember from my days in Ireland. It's so romantic over there. Uh, I know you probably don't think it's exotic but to us over here in sunny North Queens or sunny Queensland, it is certainly romantic and coming into winter where you get all your snug fires and red wine. But let's go back and talk writing. Uh, and, and I have to say also I've been looking with great envy at your shots of just wonderful sunshine and you wearing your hat and looking like you're in glorious sun. So, you know, the, the romance has its limits and I do envy your sun as well. Yeah. For all, all our listeners, uh, I did a Facebook live cross yesterday from Surface Paradise uh, on the Gold Coast here on the east coast of Australia. And I did this lovely pan of what I thought was the beach, but all it was was the sky. So I'm going to practice my panning, everybody, so I actually get into the shots what I thought I was. There was no beach there at all. It was really silly. But I'll keep practicing and I'll keep trying. Now, over to Jules. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, the writing that you do? Well, I'm a sort of hybrid writer. I do lots of different kinds of writing. I started off as fiction and then I kind of migrated into drama. So I'm actually mainly a playwright these days and um, I've written for stage and radio. And I also have a background in journalism. I used to work um, work in radio. So I have a bit of a, a mixed background. So I pull in lots of different kinds of writing techniques from different angles. But the main thing, I suppose, is um, working with drama, which means working with actors and directors. So it's collaborative. And that's a really different prospect from the, um, the fiction and the really kind of tight inner focus of fiction um so it's a it's a it's a more um perhaps more people oriented more collaborative kind of writing yeah um uh, Jules and I were having a little bit of a conversation just briefly before we started and as happens with a lot of my guests I had to say stop 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 we'll have our whole interview over before we even Mm -hmm. press the record button but Jules has linked up with another guest who we've had on Rider on the Road and she was very, very popular and you'll all remember uh, Sherry and Sherry was very exuberant and very, very popular too, I might add. Um, I had people from all over the world. Sherry was our beautiful motorbike rider uh, and jumped on a motorbike after a week and wrote all these books about it and now she's writing, just about to release, I believe, or very close to releasing her first fiction novel. Jules is her writing buddy and one of the things that I want to talk to uh, Jules today or tonight about is what it's like having someone in your corner encouraging you every step of the way. 
I love that um, analogy about somebody fighting your corner and being in your corner, because I think that's absolutely what it's about. Sherry is amazing. I, th- I don't know if Sherry realises quite how amazing she is. It's what she juggles, because um, she, um, she's she's got two young kids as well, and um, just the fact that she goes out on um, motorbike trips and on boat trips, she's very sort of intrepid like that, so she's really in the spirit of writer on the road. I feel like I'm quite a sort of tame writer on the road with my little bicycle or walking and that kind of thing. Sherry's kind of really dynamic, and so um, what's been amazing, and we met, by the way, on the um, Joanna Penn Creative Freedom uh, Forum and realised that we both wanted a certain kind of accountability. That's really what it's what it's all about. We were both working, as a lot of writers do, in relative isolation, and um, you, you spend long hours working on your project. And um, I found, I mean, because of my journalism background, actually deadlines are really good. And there's nothing I love more than a deadline and a clock ticking down to the top of the hour, you know, just really focuses the mind. And so some kind of version of that I thought would be really helpful. So um, Sherry and I um, decided that we'd, we'd work well together because we both wanted quite a hardcore version of accountability, not just maybe once a week. That sounds a bit scary, but actually it's in practice, it's not been quite as hair-raising as that. But we wanted it to be pretty consistent. So, And what we've done is... Essentially, it boils down to daily check-ins in the morning. We are both in a similar time zone. So um, Sherry's, Sherry's in Berlin and I'm in, well, she's from Canada, but um, um, she lives in Berlin and I'm in Scotland. So we, we check in most mornings and say, you know, what have you been up to? How did yesterday go? What did you achieve in terms of what we were wanting to um, finish that day? We usually have two or three small goals. I want to finish um, this edit, do so many pages. We're great. I um, think we use Pomodoros or not a lot. I don't know if that's something that your listeners are familiar with. These 25-minute time blocks called Pomodoros, um, which I think are a great way to focus your commitment. Even if you can only do one a day, you've got that slot where you're doing nothing else and it really focuses the mind. So sometimes that's that's what our goals look like. Other times it's, um, you know, Get this, uh, get this uh, project uploaded and done. So, um, and although we don't always achieve quite what we've set out to do, um, it's all it's always forward progress and and um, slight and and continuing. So I think over the past um, the past uh, long while, it's it's getting on for a year now. Actually, we've we've actually put out quite a lot. I mean, I've put out two. Uh, collections of short stories got my draft done for my copywriting book which is coming out and that's from a standing start not knowing anything about book publishing about self-publishing so the combination of Joanna's forum and Sherry as a writing buddy has just been amazing and don't forget Sherry we have this um, metaphor of monkeys Um, so we're, we're kind of doing an experiment of identifying different forms of monkeys that can torpedo your creative process. So there's the ones that are quite antsy and jump up and down and kind of um, defocus you. And there's there's others that are kind of saying, you know, you can't do this, you're useless. And we've sort of got this, I suppose, a typology of monkeys. So that might become a book. Let's look into this because this is the year of the monkey as well. So, um, so that's part of the thinking. Yeah. And as... Um... Jules is speaking here. She reminds me very much of Sherry, very vibrant, waving her arms around. Sherry McCarthy, for anyone who doesn't know who we're talking about, because she's, I think we had her on about, oh, 10 podcasts ago, five podcasts ago, I can't remember. Um, But I was very interested when Jules came on tonight and said, 
that there may be a book coming out on collaboration um, and writing buddies because I think especially in the indie publishing world we do work in isolation a lot as Jules said and having someone to bounce ideas off. Now I use um, the Freedom Journal by John Lee Dermis and I'm really slack at that as you know I write in one day every 10 days or 20 days whatever it is I'm up to page 8 I think because I did two days in a row um, and having someone every day to say to you what are your three little goals today and having someone to check up on you at the end of the day is I'm guessing a very powerful tool. Mm -hmm. It is very powerful and it's evolved as well over time because we're both kind of experimenting with how it works. One of the books we looked at was the 12 week year. I don't know, I can't remember the um, author of that, but I can I can let you know that after. And he, his idea is that you that years are quite a long time to be goal setting. You know, we do this beginning of the, um, the, at the new year, we think well, what we're going to do this year. It's too long a period to actually be manageable and sustainable. So if you instead uh, break it down into 12 week slots or sort of 90 day slots, it gives it more of a compact focus and you can sort of go for it for that time. And um, so we've been experimenting with that. So we're, we've actually just finished a 12 week year. So we had our New Year's celebration just last week and sort of worked out, well, what have we all done? And then we're just about to start. We're in January now. So until this Sunday, we're in January of this new 12 week year. So we'll be reporting back on these experiments and, and what, what's worked and what people can try for themselves. Okay, and um, have you got any, I guess, tips to share, any ideas? What what do you find works for you guys? I think it's really individual for different writers, so it's very hard to um, it's very hard to generalise. I think that you have to experiment and try what works for yourself, and it depends on the kind of writer you are. So there's that kind of caveat. But what what I've found is that. Um, as someone who's, I'm quite distractible and I need headphones to work. I need to really kind of close everything down to be able to get into that space. So for what works very well for me, oh, first of all, headphones, you should probably see these. <laughs> these for focus, I mean, I'm, I'm not without these ever. They're just brilliant. They're about £10 and they are just ear defenders of the kind that you would use if you were digging a hole in the road or if you were, um, you know, air traffic control or something like that. That's what you'd use. And they're brilliant. So that might not work for everyone, but it works brilliantly for me. And um, sort of leading on from that, um, I find really granular goal setting works very well. So you have a bigger picture one, which is, you know, edit that 75K book by the end of the month, but you really break it down so that for a day, you're going to do five pages and you can just see see the slow um, progress rather than trying to have a really massive goal that just looks... Um, it doesn't have a real shape and definition, whereas if it's really small and granular on a day-to-day -day basis, I just find that easier to handle. So it's a personal thing, but that, that really works for me, this sort of granular goal setting. Yeah, and look, we do it with the kids at school in their homework diaries all the time. And as part of this creative um, creative freedom course we're doing with Joanna Penn and it's where I meet some of these beautiful ladies who are so very very talented and I think we've had Cassandra Gaysford on we've had Sherry McCarthy and mm -hmm. we've got Jules I've got a couple of others coming up as well they're a group of dynamic women who are determined to succeed in the, their writing businesses uh, which is of course what our podcast is all about and Jules has got a dog I can hear him barking in the background mm, it's yeah somebody else's dog I don't know what. oh okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. now I took yeah. the liberty in our 
our group, um, Jules has just copied down uh, her achievements for her 12 weeks and it was labelled the 12-week year and I didn't know what that was, so now I know what that is. Uh, and what Jules has achieved, and I'll just very quickly read them out because it is amazing, <laughs> it's um, three-quarters of the edits of How to Launch a, or launch a Freelance Copywriting Business, a Creative Right create, Oh, gosh, it's... Um, Time for my bed, guys. Creative writing for a living. Uh, we're going to talk about that book in a moment, so we'll, we'll touch on that soon. And I'll put the uh, cover of that book up on our on our website because it is amazing. And I'm find out off you when it's going to be launched. Uh, number two was method writing site. Uh, get a draft up, and I thought, well, that was interesting. I have to find out what method writing is. Number three mm -hmm. was launch two fiction books. Print run with Ingram, but no launch yet. But the two books I'm assuming are the ones that I'm looking at on, yes, on Jules's website. Jules is holding up <laughs> yeah. one of the books now, and we're going to talk, talk about those yeah. beautiful <laughs> covers that they are. And then as an aside, and that were, they were the main things she achieved. Now, we're talking 12 weeks here, so I'm just blown away. And the other, just on the side, she put out a poetry pamphlet, a two-sided um, meltdown, and f what's a two-sided meltdown? Oh, you're going to tell me about that, and a Facebook Live. You a oh, two-site meltdown. So your site oh, must right. have oh, yes. crashed. Yeah, and yeah. a Facebook Live. So... In 12 weeks, I mean, that's just that's just a term at school for me where I just mark, and you guys have achieved all this stuff. Tell us your sense of achievement at, at being able to tick those things off and write those things down. Oh, right. Well, I mean, that's that's tremendous. It's not that I've done that from a standing start to 12 weeks. That's It's been a kind of year-long process, but there were certain bits of that needed to be done in the last 12 weeks. And so, um, and, and I think we always are, were a bit sort of um, glass half empty as well. We kind of go, ah, oh, but I didn't get that done and I didn't get that done. So we kind of beat ourselves up as well. So there's a sense of achievement, but also, ah, oh, I, I meant to do all this and it didn't happen. So we have to kind of be aware to celebrate achievement and, and not just kind of look at what we didn't manage to, to finish. But I think one of the really um, great things which I've loved about the last year is um, is that the learning about self-publishing? I think there's such a feeling of empowerment, and um, and just a, just it just feels really wonderful to have created a book. Um, I think publishing for me has always been something that's seemed very far off, and something that's it's very sort of mediated, and there are gatekeepers to let you getting a book published. It's such a long process. Publishing is something that's, you know, up there, kind of, you know, really um, inaccessible. And to have the means now, I just think this is so exciting to have the means now to actually pull together a book, design it, commission your own cover, work with a designer, um, get ISBNs and get it up there as an artifact that you've made yourself. I just think that's a, such a game changer for writers. And I think um, because I've been more in the I suppose traditional publishing world, most of my writer friends are in the traditional publishing world. They're not yet like indie authors tuned in to those possibilities, I think. I think that's coming. I think they're they're looking at my books and thinking, wow, you can do this. I didn't realise. I said, yeah, it's, you know, it's out there. It's just there for, you know, trying out. It's a kind of wild west, really. It's, you know, let's get on with it and, and look at these possibilities. That for me, from a year ago, not being able to do that, to having two books in my hands, which which have been designed and they've got professional production values, professional editorial values. They're indistinguishable from a book that's been made by a small independent publisher. So, you know, where do you go with that? I just think that's really, really exciting. That's for me felt like a massive achievement. 
yeah. and it's just like where can you go with those skills now that's that's really exciting yeah and now I'm going to go back and I'll introduce Jules properly uh I, I'm guessing if you're listening and you're hearing what Jules has got to say, you can guess immediately that she's very learned. And we've decided to call this podcast very briefly, we decided to call it Indie Publishers as Influencers. And there's a reason for that. It's because in indie publishing or self-publishing is, is the cutting edge, as Jules says. Now, Jules is an associate lecturer at the Open University. She's worked for the BBC. Uh, she's, she's published with her plays and things. She's got degrees in German and French. And she has a love of language and learning. And she was, I think, influenced by um, one of our favourite authors, who I tried to speak about last podcast but I got the name wrong it's Gormenghast by Mervyn Peake oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and okay, um, yeah, Angela yeah. Carter was another one uh, so we're talking about a woman who's steeped in education who is working as a tutor she mentioned very briefly and we were just talking before about how Facebook live is a game tape game changer for tutors and educators how we can reach our students so very easily nowadays and how we're only on I guess the cusp of opening up the opportunities in that sphere I think that's right and I think one of the reasons I'm so excited by um, why education and being a teacher is because of the horizons that it opened up for me when I was learning and you know discovering coming from a small borders town very quiet and then the world of books opens up and then the world of education opens up and it's mind expanding and just that's that's phenomenally exciting so that's what I want to share with people when I when I um, I think teach writing's maybe the not the right word because I think it's it's hard to teach, but then you can facilitate people learning about it. So that's that's the way I try to approach it because I think voice and all these things are very individual. Process is very individual. But I think what, what you're saying about um, the cusp of um, changes in teaching, I think that's so true, and I think it's really not fully appreciated. Within the Open University, which is a distance learning program, it's it's very old. Um, one of the earliest, I think it may be the earliest distance learning universities in the world. We have quite a lot of international students on that. And um, as part of that, I teach uh, creative writing. So um, one of there's a new MA course as well. It's just starting up, which is very exciting. Um, there's not been a degree course with the Open University in creative writing before. So that's, that's being launched as we speak. And one of the things there is... Um, they, they are at the cutting edge of technology um, for distance learning. So they, they use lots of things like we, we work on forums with students and we have face-to-face, -face, but I've been interested in using using video too. And perhaps I think um, what it lacks is, you know, the face-to-face -face element for students. So video is great. And now that we can do it at home, we don't have to have a massive production crew creating a, you know, a studio and standing there in your corduroy and pointing at a, you know, at a... Um, a board or something you can actually do it in a much more intimate and friendly way and I think that's I think that's really nice for the students but Facebook live is another thing entirely I mean I've been really impressed and actually I've gone away and tried it based on your experiments I thought wow this is possible and um seeing one or two um online training sessions that be done in that way that are live not time displaced like a lot of forums are it's just amazing um the the Open University hasn't isn't going to that quite yet. Um, it's, it's sort of a leap, although we do have um, live sort of screenshot type programs. We have uh, live forums that work, but not with this video element. So um, 
they've asked me to do some um, training in this um, so, so that um, tutors can be aware of the possibilities. Because I do think Facebook Live is such a game changer. I mean, for teachers, the idea that you can interact with students um, live with video, um, and it's a very simple technology as well because it's it's in their existing groups. Um, you know, a lot of people are on Facebook already, so it's just building on what's already familiar. So um, yeah, this is this is huge, I think. Yeah, and I, I was really excited when Jules um, spoke to me about that earlier because when I found Facebook Live, I was jumping around and I was so, so very excited. And I went to school and I told everybody, I said, it's the answer that I've been looking for for my, um, as you know, I'm about to launch my online teenage novel writing course. And it was just that one element that gives my course the intimacy that that was lacking. So every Sunday night I've been with my beta group, I've been doing the Facebook Live sessions, and these kids are just powering through because they have me every week and they can't wait to tell me about their stories and they are progressing. Rather than, um, and look, Joanna Penn is fantastic and she jumps into our Facebook group all the time with the course that we're doing, and she's doing Facebook Live question and answer sessions as well. And just having access to that tutor in such an immediate fashion is, is an amazing thing to do. And especially for what I would say is not very much money. Uh, and I think, I think we'll, we'll see this really, really expand. The teachers at school looked at me like I was a nutter. Um, but, you know, a classroom with 28 kids, you cannot tap into everyone's needs in any way, shape or form. With Facebook Live, you're, you're getting the questions. It's, it's on topic. Um, and I think as an online forum, especially with adults as well, it's, we're going to see a lot more of it. I think it's interesting what you're saying. Being an early adopter can be quite a problem sometimes because you can be incredibly excited about something that's happening, like, like I have been about the book publishing, and um, you, you just kind of meet the kind of blank looks and why is that exciting? I remember when blogging started, and I thought this this is pretty amazing. And um, people just they were at that stage. People were saying, "Oh, it's narcissistic," and it's all that. That people were saying, "Why why put your diary online?" They hadn't understood the way that new medium can be used. And I think that's that's what's interesting. It's the creative possibilities of all these new media that are that are. I mean, this is pioneer territory, and I just think. Um, you know, you're you're now the adopter adopter now. The kids get it. <laughs> the kids yeah. the kids will get it, and actually, it'll be completely you know no brainer for them. It's the generation that they're maybe older and not 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 very techy minded that they're not really tuning into the creative possibilities of these new media. But they'll they'll look. You'll look back in five years, and everybody will be doing it and saying, well, yeah. Yeah, you, you you sort of spotted it early on. Yeah, and I think with uh, as indie authors or self-publishers, whatever we like to call ourselves, it opens up a world of possibilities. And I'm only thinking this through as I'm talking to you now, but I've been able to reach an amazing number of people very, very quickly with my podcast, with, um, mm. I guess, with my Facebook Live little um, crosses. And it, people don't have to tune in immediately. I notice that the numbers go up exponentially during the day and the next couple of days as, as people have a little peak later on. And I just thought that stuff is there for people to look at whenever they're ready, whenever they feel like it. And it's just one more tool, I guess, to add to the interest level of us reaching out to our readers, um, reaching out mm -hmm. to our fellow authors. Um, certainly, I've used it to great success to get people to come onto the show and I can, I can reach people 
And I guess the influences like yourself and like some of um, the other guests that I've had on who know so much more than me and can share it like very easily. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's I think that's not true about um, knowing so much more because I think you're you're very much um, I mean I only started using Facebook Live because I saw what you'd been doing on the forum I think you're and um, the, the fact that I think we have on the forum a lot of people who are quite technically minded but also creative and I think that combination is what's really interesting about our time that there are um, creative possibilities in being um, technically interested which maybe wasn't the case um, so much before. So I, I just think that's where that that um, interplay between tech and creativity is a really interesting thing. That's partly what method writing is about, um, this idea that we can think of ways of creativity and um, technology working together. Yeah, and I think as, again, I keep going back to this indie publishing, uh, I guess, because that's what I'm so passionate about. We can experiment, we can play, like you talked about blogging earlier, and I remember I tried blogging, but it was damned hard work, and you had to write a lot, and then I started reading things about the only way you got um, your blogs noticed if you wrote really, really long, and then they came back and said, oh, no, you want to get noticed if you write really, really short, and then if you put certain things in your headlines, and then if you get guests, and I'm thinking go away it's all too hard with with mm. this uh podcasting it's all very immediate i get to talk about interesting topics with people that i adore i get to talk literature i was talking renaissance um literature with um cassandra gaysford today i get to talk to you with about gormenghast now very few people would have heard of gormenghast and yet you know we we have it by our bedside table and you love it you just yeah. how would who would have thought that you know I could talk to someone in the Scottish borders about a book that I have sitting on my bedside table? It's it's just beyond <laughs> exciting, uh, and I, yeah. I'm guessing you would you would strike that with your I guess your pupils as well as as your relationships mm-hmm. develop through your courses. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'd like to know a little bit about more about the book that's nearly ready to go: How to Launch a Freelance Copywriting Business and Creative Writing for a Living because we are creative, we do want to make a living out of it and we're not mucking around in saying that. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're saying it's not only possible, you're telling us how how to do it in a way. What's in that book that I want to know? Well, I think it's how to get... All my mistakes are in that book because I think that's really <laughs> valuable information. Um, I think... Because um, I live in quite a rural area and there are not many um, there are not many jobs that would uh, work for my skill set. Um, and I think I mean, most people in rural areas wear multiple hats and they have um, lots... They have a sort of portfolio of different things that they do because that's how you make a living. You have to be very flexible like that. Um, one of the things I found was that writing is quite isolating. And although I passionately wanted to write, at the same time, you can come to a point where you're slightly running on empty creatively, because if you're if you're very much involved in the writing side of things, you're not out and about like you, like you are having the sort of two way traffic. And I think you need that um, very much that sort of uh, creative um, input um, and to, it's, it's that you're well and filling your well creatively. So um at the same time, you need to earn a living. So all these questions are hovering. And I went to um, a workshop about copywriting um, up in Edinburgh. And I thought, this sounds really good. But it also sounded a little bit beyond what I could achieve because it was um, it was about writing for corporates and that kind of thing. And I don't have that kind of background, that kind of knowledge. And I probably feel really uncomfortable in that kind of world anyway. But I thought, I wonder how it can work with local businesses and with um um, copywriting for what we call SMEs, small and medium enterprises, which are basically pretty well 90% of the businesses that are out there in your, in your local area. 
And so this this book describes the business side. If you're a creative writer, you can write already well and you you, you can wrangle characters and viewpoints and um, vocabulary and all these things. You really know how to write. Maybe you've a journalism background or you've done some creative writing workshops, but you don't know the business side of how to get some um, money from your writing through copywriting. So this book tells you well, what's the what's it like working for businesses? How what's the vocabulary you need to engage with people? What what kind of rates can you get? What kind of what's the sweet spot uh, spot of the size of business that it's good to look for? Because um, there is a kind of sweet spot. Certain businesses aren't in the market for your services. Um, they may not appreciate your services or want to pay for them. But there's others who kind of recognise that it's useful to have copywriting. Um, skills um, for their web presence, for example, for their brochures. Um, so what kind of businesses to look out for? And then your collaborators, your, who are your creative collaborators? Well, you'll, it's great because you'll work with um, graphic designers, web designers, other creative people, photographers, filmmakers, and um, finding a sort of team of people that you know that you can work together with. Um, and to me, that's been really transformative to have, um, first of all, there's a nosy side of every writer. Let's not, um, let's be truthful about that. Getting to talk to people in business is great because you get to go behind the scenes at factories. You get to get, you know, find out how they work. Really fascinating lines of business here. Like um, somebody's got a dive company. They do sort of di boat diving um, holidays, and um, somebody's a wedding planner. And you know, for, for a storyteller, that's fantastic because you're getting to find out about. Um, unexpected lines of work so that's great um, but at the same time it's connecting you with people in your local community and crucial thing you're earning a good living from it from your writing and I think a lot of writers who've maybe gone the um, sort of literary route or the um, um, you know the MA creation writing they've not quite cottoned on to that as an option um, maybe they're slightly they think it's big business or they think it's um, you know, somehow, I don't know, they don't like it being associated with money or that kind of thing. But I think you have to be really um, straightforward about the fact that you do need to earn a living and you can do it in lots of different ways. And copywriting for me is such a natural way that fills, it fulfills a lot of um, needs, I think. The money side, the um, connection side, I think is huge, I think, for writers. And also the, just the fascination of getting behind the scenes and talking to people in walks of life, because we can be in bubbles as writers as well, in walks of life you'd never normally encounter. So to me, it's just such a great thing. So the book tells you how to do it, <laughs> cuts you to the chase, helps you avoid doing the silly um, things that I did early on when I was discovering all this. So it'll save you about 10 years. Uh, and I, ne I need all the saving that I can get because I'm already 54 going on 55. And I thought, yeah, I need I need saving. So thank you, Jules. Uh, and, <laughs> okay. and look, I do agree. Um, my book that I've put out, The Miner's Wife, it is a literary fiction. Um, tried to disguise it as, as a romance, but it is a romance. It's a literary romance. Uh, but it's not, I guess it's not something where you write a series and you use uh churn out a dozen novels in a year and have something for readers to go back to again and again and again and I make a bit of my money um, through freelance writing uh, which is articles and things which is a way to go I've looked at the copywriting um, but it's time consuming in itself you have to be free to go to the places I'm guessing to to be able to visit to be able to write their stories and that would take I guess a little while to set up do you think 
Um, not necessarily. I mean, some of it can some of it can be done remotely. Sometimes, um, as you get discovered, um, people phone you up and say, "Oh, I'm running this. I'm opening this guest house. I need some services." And you can a lot of it can be done on the phone. Um, or you might have an, an initial meeting and then the rest of it's done. The rest of it's done the phone. So I think it can be managed in different ways. I don't think it doesn't need much setup. It just needs um, an understanding of the right place to look for the work. I think, um, and then maybe some systems that you put in place so that you're not um, um, so that your initial sort of what they call client onboarding. It's when you're sort of getting to know the client. You could, there, there are ways to make that. To ask the pertinent questions and go through a, a, a quite um, um, effective and efficient process, shall we say? Because you've got to be careful that it's it's not just um, you know expanding to fill the available time. It's actually quite a um, um, yeah. You get into a routine, and then I think it, um, that's that's part of what's in, in the book too. Actually, sort of how to how to make sure the work you don't get project creep, which is when you know they expand horribly it's just keeping it really tight so I think it could work for you yeah, let's talk to, yeah I have to work out how to do that I, I wouldn't even know where to go to say excuse me give me some money I can write some stuff for you I think it sounds like a really great idea because I'm sick of going to school <laughs> we'll, right, okay. yeah we'll talk further um, I might join in on this daily daily work habit um, now Jules knows what she's talking about I'm going to move on to um, two projects that I think Jewel should be very, very proud of. They look absolutely beautiful. And that they're her own work. Uh, one of them is called Nano Novels. Tell us about Nano Novels. Just the title alone is pretty exciting. Well, Nano Novels is an interesting one because it was a kind of experiment in... in um, I wasn't writers... I didn't have writer's block, but I, have, I had writer's... what I call writer's lock which is not actually doing any writing, which is a very different thing. It's essentially a thing of not actually making time and not prioritising and not... So I had kind of writer's lock. And I thought, oh, come on, um, you've just got to make time and set it aside. What's the smallest amount of time that you can really set aside and make sure you just commit to that and do it every day? So I, st I started this experiment. So I've got quite a sort of experimental mindset. So nano novels are stories written in five minutes. So it's literally a case of set the timer, write the story. And so you think, well, where do you get the inspiration? So what I did was it was a kind of process of go to bookshelf, pick book, open book with your eyes shut, looking away, find a phrase. Um, and what I found here is old in one, old in one. That's my phrase. So type that into Google and you will come up with some page or other and old in one is the title of your story and the Google page is what inspires the story. So you're kind of, and you've got five minutes and it's got to be a complete story. So over the course of about 150 days, I kind of got, I, there's a thing happened after 150 days in a, in a pub in Dumfries and it all went horribly wrong. So that was the end of my experiment. But I have 150 days of stories doing this exact process. And so I've kept uh, screen grabs of all the pages that this refers to and I've got the stories and so it looks a bit like this um, um, and, I, and I've got the screen grabs and had some you know made me re, um, find out about books on my bookshelf that I'd forgotten which was nice oh right I forgot about this oh my god I can't write about that and then you go to a google page it's the most horrendous google page ever like latin verbs or something but you're going to write a story you've got to write a story 
and um, five minutes. So they're micro fictions, and they're all they've all come from uh, an interaction between a book and the web, and um, and a sort of fuddled brain, if you like. And what was really interesting about it was in the course of the year, this was the year that um, Kindle first came out. So it was a time when people started to look at, um, read differently, very fundamental change in the way people started to read. And as the year went on, the sites got more and more corporate. So you could put in a phrase, which is quite an unusual phrase, just taken randomly from a book, and you'd get some really strange, you'd end up some really strange places on the web, and that would be quite inspiring, quite intriguing, mad things going on. And then as the year went on, it got more and more, my God, this is a site, you know, it's like a massive company. And it became more and more difficult to write the stories because you were just thinking, there's nothing in here. There's just bland stuff, you know. Um, so it's quite, it's become, looking back, it's actually quite an interesting sort of document of um, what was kind of going on on the web with web searches at the same time. But primarily it was a kind of, experiment in creativity and um, not being defeated by the demons of you can't write and you, you you won't write just making that time so i'd encourage anybody who's a who's a listener who's not making time you can write a complete story in five minutes and so it just um, blows any excuses out of the water i think that's what's important about it yeah, and look, I'm sitting here and I'm just going, wow, what an exciting brain. I did my, I guess I came through my PhD when postmodernism was all the rage and that's where we kicked off into multiplicities and we went off and it didn't matter where our stories ended, it, there were no endings and it was a bit after that hyperlinks came in where you could take your stories wherever you wanted using hyperlinks with, you know, all over the place and I'm guessing this... this your nano novels were written in a similar vein. How exciting would it be to get my students to to try that and see where they end but, up in the classroom? I mean, the, the mind boggles at the fun that we could have. And if anyone said there was no learning happening, I would I would defy them um, to, to say that um, because even listening to you now, I'm going, I want to try it. And I'm looking at my own bookshelves. I can see, um, for all of you out there, I can see... Jules bookshop um, in the background and that's one of the benefits of being a podcaster because I get to see everybody's I guess living rooms and their bookshelves and I feel like <laughs> scanning in to see what's on bookshelves I always tell how interesting a person is by their bookshelves uh, and I thought I, I could pull my books off shelves that I haven't seen in years as well and and try and kick off a story I find Google one of the most tedious things ever invented and I click on site after site and I'm thinking oh spare me um, but to be able to use it in such a creative way is really exciting I picked up on as you were talking Jules about I guess your experimental nature and your your truly creative nature and that would I guess tip over into your your playwriting into your theater into your uh, I guess your making things happen as you're standing there um, and I would be killed and slayed alive if I didn't mention my daughter Samantha as we all know won all her theatre playwriting awards and is all very excited she makes me do the most amazing stuff to get me out of my boring <laughs> rut and start speaking uh, I guess more interestingly and make my writing more interesting you live and breathe that I guess what do you call it? Cutting cutting edge stuff where where you're you're pushing the boundaries every step of the way. 
Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Sounds quite. I think it's interesting what your daughters. Um, I think um, and, and tied into nano novels as well. There's this brilliant book which she probably knows, or if not, will certainly like, which is by Keith Johnson, and it's called Impro, and it's about improvisation and theatrical improvisation, and it's fantastic. Um, one of the things he does is, do you know that exercise? You, you probably get this in um, in classrooms as well, where you do that. And you've got to say a word on, on beat four. Do you know that you know that exercise? And you go around, and somebody says something random and starts it off, and and the next one um, has to follow on. And what goes on in your head in that moment is really interesting because it's all your um, censorship. It, and it's hard to be spontaneous, and it's to sort of notice what's spontaneity and what's censorship. And what I find is that when I'm doing that, I'm going. I can't say that, that's too obvious, or that's too, oh my God, that's really disturbing, you can't possibly say that. And Keith Johnson talks about this thing of um, not self-censoring and letting some of these things rise to the surface and just see what happens. And I think with nanonovels, what I realised was that, you know, that my impulse is to go, um, you know, it's a sort of critical learned thing that you get in school, you, you learn to sort of bat down ideas or um, um, yeah, self-censor, self-criticise. And it's actually a massive learning thing to unravel that and actually listen to what's intuitively going on there. So, so nano novels is very good for that. But that makes you realise that moment where you go, oh, can't say that. I think all writers should tune into that and try and, and, try and listen to it and um, and notice it because that kind of helps to free you up for when you're actually writing. So I think you've got to get kind of beyond that when you're writing. You can't have the editorial head and the writing head going at the same time. That's just disastrous. So your daughter's, um, I think if she's, if she's forcing you to kind of do unexpected and random things, it's just like getting yourself out of the groove of what you would normally do. And I think what happens then is your neurons fire in different ways and um, make new connections and that's just intrinsic it's, I don't think it's um it's not um special it's just how creativity works and it's just you know working with those tools so I'd be interested in knowing what she's what she's doing with you actually let's hear a bit more about that <laughs> <laughs> it's um I actually did tell um Sam that she should be running this interview and not me today I knew right from when I read your bio that this was right up her alley. Uh, we're running a Facebook Live session for the kids on Sunday and the title is called Unlimiting Our Thoughts. And she's got all the theory behind it and she's really exciting. I'm saying, well, what do I put in, what do I put in the advertisement? What do I write? She said, just write Unlimiting Thoughts. I'll explain it. And I'm going, oh, gosh, <laughs> give me a break. Um, and here you are, you're espousing exactly those same thoughts. I think creativity is a word that has become, I guess, a bit blasé and um, thrown around the classrooms in, in a way that we mark it and we assess it and we grade it and we pass and fail, pe fail people. And that's because I don't know where you are, but here in Australia, we've got a lot of politicians taking over our Australian curriculum. And I'm guessing creativity is closing down and becoming very narrow and very defined. What people like you and Sam are doing, and I've heard it in your voice from the minute we've started our conversation tonight, is we're opening up those, I guess, those opportunities to use creativity in the way it was meant to be used. Do you think that's from your theatre or have you always engaged like that with your writing? Um, I think I think it's a really interesting point because it, as creativity has become 
you know, there are lots of creative writing courses and it's becoming more professionalised. And then it's seen as there's a kind of route to learning stuff, which then, you know, you then go and you write your MA type novel. And people are saying, well, that gives a certain kind of flavour to things. And um, yeah, I think that sort of slight commodification of, of creativity is, is is a problem, um, and in and in and I'm not unaware of the ironies of also teaching. You know, um, being a tutor in creative writing, it's how do you how do you strike that balance? And the whole thing about marking is, I agree, really problematic. Um, how do you place a value on someone's um, on someone's? You know, we're calling it creative output, and I find myself all the time kind of being aware of this awful speak that that sort of creeps in when you. When you're in that world, um, and I think I think the best thing to do is kind of completely step away from it and actually tune into um, to what's out there physically. To actually tune into the world. I mean, I think when I'm seeing you going around in your van and actually being in these beautiful locations and um, actually being out there, physical presence in the world, and really tuning in and noticing. Um, I think that's I think that's how to get back in touch with those things. I noticed. Um, I was thinking also of photography. I was on the photography workshop the other day and I found that fantastic for asking you to focus on what's really there, things that you would normally walk past and just not notice. It it makes you really look in a different way at light and at, at things that are small or um, perhaps a bit invisible. And um, um, to come back to your daughter and her, um, her theatre um, background, I think for writers, one really valuable learning some really valuable learning can come from interacting with um, with actors. And um, what we did for, I did a play called Allotment, which was set on um, um, outdoors. In, and I love this this fact that it's not a theatre building, it's outside in the world and there's the rain happens. It was during the Edinburgh Festival and the, the, you know, it's the, cat, the audience were there with umbrellas up and it was raining and the actors got drenched and, you know, felt very guilty. But it was phenomenal what they did. But we devised this, together with the actors. And what I realized was that their process was very similar to how writers work. So um, they, we were there in a sort of um, January allotment, which was very dark and muddy and, and so on. We thought, how on earth can this become a play? We had no idea what the play was going to be. We just had this place and, um, and, and some objects that happened to be lying around, there were spades and there were aprons and that kind of thing. And so the actors were invited to improvise um which is a bit like our free writing it's just see what happens you have you've got these things let's see what happens um and being actors they were very inventive with what they did physically so they were clambering onto roofs they were digging stuff up they were um um, making things happen with sheds and um so that was that became my material so i was observing and taking notes and finding out um different things that could be done with the object and um, I just found it really interesting that their creative process was one of acceptance. It was one of risk and let's see and let's not be embarrassed about anything that happens or let's not self-censor. Let's just just try something and see. And then you've got this massive um, potential um, material. And then you kind of go away and it distills for a bit and things rise to the surface which seem more you know, somehow interesting, and you take them and, and make a play from them. And I think that's similar to free writing, where you write loads and loads and loads, which is absolutely horrible. You know about shitty first drafts, you know, the Anne Lamott thing, which is just 
genius, I think. Shitty first drafts. My drafts are the most, are the shittiest drafts in the entire world. Extremely embarrassing. But you have to do that to get to the interesting stuff. And to me, writing's in editing. The actual writing is in the editing. Um, and so I'm quite happy to let loads of horror <laughs> come onto the page and then take a good look at it with the sort of editing bit of your brain, which goes, ooh, that's that's interesting. Let's do something with that. I don't know if that's answered your question at all. It's gone off on one, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, and I think, I guess our chat tonight has become certainly one of what is creativity, how do we define it, and how do we express that creativity? When you were talking, I was listening without a fascination, and I, I will certainly replay this immediately for my daughter, um, and as she's the one that edit, edits it, I'm guessing she'll hear it anyway. Um, but to listen to it from way to go, because she's just completed a course of theatre. She won something with the Queensland Theatre Company, and she's she was forced to go through, I guess, the steps that a playwright goes as opposed to the steps that a writer goes through. Now, as a writer, mm-hmm. we draft it out, and as you said, we do our shitty first drafts and all the rest of it. As a playwright, she had to go through steps of not writing. She had to go through the steps that you've just described of place, of exploring and seeing what happened. And she was very uncomfortable with that process at first. And then it all came together at the other end. And she Mm -hmm. persevered. She said, I'm just going to keep going, Mummy, because it's a new way of, of pulling something together that I haven't experienced yet. She said she didn't like it. Um, and it didn't sit well with her, but she said it was one of the best learning curves for her as a writer because it opened her up to new ways of doing things and new possibilities. And I think this is a lot where these unlimiting thoughts are coming from with her at the moment. Um, She's been doing this course for two years. She's got another year to go. She's only 16. She's winning all these awards but she's mm-hmm. testing those boundaries in the very way that you're speaking about that that I guess the true meaning of creativity that we lose in the classroom that we lose in school that experimental mindset that we've talked about and I've written down here on a piece of paper as I'm listening to you talk I've written down the commodification of art and I think that's what's mm-hmm. happened in the classroom and I think it's what's happened on the bookshelves we've decided that art is a product and we've worked out how best to sell it and nothing in our conversation tonight has been about that commodification I guess you're the true epitome epitome of an artist is that is that my close oh I don't know I I think it's interesting because um on Ros Morris's blog recently there was some discussion about what is what we are and sometimes I find words quite pernicious actually because words are just um time stamps put onto the whole sort of massive experience and and it happens to be that um we have words like hobby and hobbyist and artist and um you know it's a vocation and all these things and I, I think oh my battery's running low let me just it's not my battery it's the computer's battery (laughs) we're just going to wind Um, jules up again but just um if everybody now everyone's been listening here for close on 50 minutes i was going to cut down Mm -hmm. to 30 minutes and 40 minutes it never ever happens and especially in this conversation so if you all want to turn off you can but i'm not going to uh there's a lot of bashing and crashing going on in this uh chat tonight 
What it is, is Jules is in an office and behind her, someone is walking backwards and forwards. They're slamming things, they're crashing. And I'm watching this shadow go backwards and forwards. In our defense, both Jules and I have our headsets. We have our microphones. We're doing everything that's right. And it's that person in the background with his dog who is causing all sorts of noise <laughs> that is coming through very loudly. But it hasn't stopped Jules one iota. Her flat battery mm -hmm. might. So plug yourself in there, Jules. I hope I've given you time to do that. In. Yep. Uh, yep. And continue where you left off, coming what you were talking about yeah just say there, there's a gym there's actually a a gym just outside there so there's lots of people sort of bit quite meaty sort of people got walking back and forward so that's probably what the noise is um yeah the, the the idea of artists i must admit i don't describe myself as an artist but because i have a lot of friends who are artists and i think it would be um disrespectful to them in their particularly sort of visual arts and that kind of thing who um because that's how they identify um, and I, I just, I'm, I'm a writer and I see that as something different, but I think words can be quite pernicious. Um, um, and I think we should just do what we do and not sort of be disturbed by that. Just, just kind of do what we do. I think, um, what I do is, is writing and it's, you know, it's, it's my practice. It's, it's my way I am my living. Um, I don't think that makes me an artist. I don't know, but I don't know quite what the definition is. So. I'm going to strongly disagree. I'm, I've crossed my arms. I'm going, there is, writing <laughs> is just a bigger art form as any of the other arts that George just spoke about. I'm going to read you a little quote now. And it's the normal thing that I would do when I'm introducing, I guess, a guest. And now we're here, we're at 52 minutes and I'm going to say it. It's, Jules is a dazzling storyteller. Uh, her touch is light but her handling deft, able to shift a mood from good nature to something darker in a handful of words. I'm going to suggest that Jules actually is an artist and she just hasn't come to terms with it yet. The um, other book that I want to talk to you, Jules, about is Wrapped Town. Now, the cover alone is just gorgeous. It is bright. It is beautiful. Um, Jules has another business called something or other called Text House, The Art of Words. So I'm guessing um, art and creativity just ooze from you, woman. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, tell us about Wrapped Town. Um, Rap Town is a collection of short stories and they've gone, they date back quite a few years now. Um, and Rap Town, the title story is about, um, do you know the, the artist Crystal? There's this artist who wraps things up, he wraps up islands and he wrapped up the Reichstag building in Berlin. And um, he, I was always very inspired to see that he could do this very unlikely thing. And I did actually visit the wrapped Reichstag in Berlin. It was just amazing. I just think it's absolutely wonderful and how it transformed this building. So, and I thought it'd be brilliant if he could wrap my town because it's in a valley and it's um, quite long valley and you could very easily put a big sort of wrapping across the top of the valley. And of course that's never going to happen. Um, but I thought you can do it in a story. <laughs> so essentially I've written a story where um, Christo wraps my hometown which is a town of secrets and uh, and things going things going on and how um, the experience of becoming part of a big artwork um, in this small Scottish town transforms everybody's lives and when it comes to actually taking the the um, wrap wrapping off they don't want it to go they want to keep it and it's, it's what happens so that's the title story I think it's maybe quite a good example because the stories are quite. They're, a lot of them are set in Scotland um, in the sort of small town environment that I come from. But they've also got this quite dark and quite sort of strange, uh, strange things go on in these towns. I mean, this is a place where we have 
um, all these um, traditional horse pageants and things. There's just horses in every corner in my part of the world and lots of strange um, border rituals because this is the place where um, the, the, the meeting of the border between England and Scotland. So it's quite an interesting place. It's very quiet nowadays, but of course people have become more interested in borders recently. So particularly this one. So um, I think people's place, you know, often you don't appreciate your place enough you grow up with it and you become a teenager and all you want to just leave it and get the hell out. And then I think really tuning into the place because it makes you who you are. I think it's really important for writers to really notice and appreciate the strange things that maybe they've just taken for granted and then um, kind of just really appreciate where you're from and make the best of it because we don't know about it. I mean, my your place is exotic for me and I'm fascinated to know about what goes on where you are. And I think and um, we need to recognise that about our own places that there may be um, interesting for other people. Yeah, and I think that's something that's really important for all of us as writers. Exotic means something different for everybody and the everyday for one of us can mean something really wonderful for someone else. And I, I think I, I spoke to someone, I was on their podcast and they spoke about my life and living in a caravan with two teenagers, two dogs and a cat, and I've now got two cats. Mm -hmm. And he kept saying, yeah, but how? How can you write? How can you, how can you um, miss out and do this? And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Living in a house sounds like an absolute nightmare. And now that I am living in a house, I'm absolutely correct. It is a nightmare. It gets dirty. I have to open the curtains every day. I have to clean up every day. And I'm thinking, why do people want to do this stuff? There's you know, stuff everywhere and it's damned hard work. Uh, I think, as you said, it's everybody has a story to tell, no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing. And there is no one way of telling it. If there's one thing that came out of my chat with you tonight is that allow yourself to tell the story that you want to tell in the way that you want to tell it and don't be frightened to, uh, I guess, push the barriers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, embrace what's distinctive about what you are and what you have around you because it will be, um, if you really embrace it, it'll it'll be interesting to someone else who's not had that experience. And um, I just think, yeah, really tuning into your surroundings and, and going for it is, is, is the way to go. Yeah, and that's from a creative writing teacher from Open University, lecturer in creative writing. Is there one, and I'm guessing I was going to say, is there one last thing that you would like to, to tell people? But I'm guessing you just did. Um, yeah, I think that's it. It's um, do what you do. I think Rilke, the poet Rilke, says something about if you're doing something that annoys people or they um, um, they kind of criticise you for, do it even more because that's a thing that's somehow evoking an emotional response and getting people interested. So really embrace that thing and really go for it. Yeah. And don't oh. let people's <laughs> don't let people's um, own ideas of what's right and wrong put you off, put you off your path. Yeah, and that's what's, as I, was, I interrupted Jules there, but that's what's getting me the sack from all my teaching jobs is that I keep pushing this boundary of creativity and I keep saying, no, let's give the kids their freedom, let's give the kids their heads, let's allow them to to choose their learning. Uh, I just think we are on, as I said earlier, I think we're on the cusp of uh, of that kind of future we're standing a middle-aged woman in a front of, you know, 28 indifferent students 
is long gone because they've all got their devices. They're all looking at the things they want to look at. They're all learning the things they want to learn in a way that appeals to them. We can be facilitators. We can open their minds to new opportunities, but teaching them content is just insane and testing them on, on it is even more insane. Um, and I keep getting shot for saying that. Mm -hmm. I think there's a sweet spot there. I think that's a really interesting thing that you've um, that you've brought up there because what your daughter was saying about her um, this is just a quick thing to finish off. Sorry to go on, but what she was um, saying about being forced to do something she didn't enjoy, and and going through that difficulty in order to come out the other side with new learning. I think that's really important. And one of the things that can happen if people are um, entirely left up to their own devices can mean that they will go along the groove that's that's um, the path of least resistance. Um, and I think we need to find a kind of I think there's a um, sweet spot between um, following your following your passion and following your dream and all those things, which and and what's idiosyncratic and distinctive about you, but also being asked or invited or forcing yourself to do something that's that's. Um, not what you would normally do because that it's the tension between those two things i think where, where learning happens so it's it's a bit of pushing the boundaries and a bit of following your following your inclinations and it's finding that sweet spot i think that's that's really important so not diving in where you where you don't feel comfortable is just as important as following what you what you're really drawn to yeah and i think for every one of us who's listening out there and every one of us who is on the indie publishing journey and probably to a smaller extent the traditional publishing journey but that where learning happens it's that juncture of the known and the unknown and that's where indie publishing is so very very exciting and we talked about the idea of indie publishers as influencers uh, this is exactly where we started and exactly where we're finishing up tonight is it's where learning happens it's where indie publishers are situated right now we are pushing boundaries in a way that is really, really exciting, whether it be mm -hmm. my podcast, whether it be our books, whether it be uh, finding new audiences and new ways of telling our stories. It's got to be a wonderful way to end our conversation, which has now been going for an hour. Not my fault. Jules fault, everybody. Uh, <laughs> nah, it happens every week. Uh, um, can I finish? And if I don't finish like this, I'm going to get in huge trouble. Uh, Gormenghast, can you finish with your impressions of that rather amazing book or books, because I know it's more than one, uh, that is was a BBC series, I believe, in the very early days, 1934 or something like that. Tell me what you think. Oh, Gormenghast. Uh, Gormenghast is mind-blowing. Actually, when I read it, I started writing a bit like that afterwards because it's so it's so influential. Um, I'd like to talk about, and just mention Mr. Pie by Mervyn Peake because um, there's there's if you've not read Mervyn Peake before, the place to start is Mr. Pie, um, which is about a guy in on the island of Sark who starts growing wings. Um, and there's just a wonderful characters in there, Miss Mrs. Miss Busby with her hat on and the wonderful illustrations from Mervyn Peake as well. So start with that one. And I have wonderful memories as a teenager of reading Mr. Pie by the side of a loch. My family were all um, having a picnic and I was, even then, was very sort of child that wanted to go off and read books. So I was reading Mr. Pie at the far side of a loch. Really strong memories of that book, and um, and that led me on to um, the, the Gorman Gas. But if you haven't read Mervyn Peake, he's got 
wonderful larger than life characters steer pike and fuchsia and um, i actually met a girl a woman a, a colleague who's called fuchsia after a character in the in gormenghast so um yeah wonderful books yeah and every every writer should look at least once and if you get sucked in you're sucked in for life uh do it do it do it because your creative endeavors will never be the same again jules you've been absolutely wonderful you've put up with all my transgressions as all my audience um i guess all my guests have to do you've been beautiful uh intelligent articulate creative you've pushed my boundaries even talking to you tonight you've given me permission to go on and be who i am and continue to to walk the path that i want to do you're obviously a wonderful teacher uh thank you very much thank you see you soon okay and we'll talk again and all those notes will will be up there for our readers and i'll make sure that um if you need to contact jules and ask her more that you will be able to do and her books and everything and anything else that i've forgotten we'll just stick up there and um it's all there for the asking uh good night from thanks me. for having me <laughs> bye jules. thanks for having me